You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Una Usato is a sex educator and burlesque performer in New York City. And three weeks ago, she started getting sick. I had a fever that night. I had the body aches began, coughing. I think that was like the first two weeks was just so much, like my body's in so much physical pain. I was also just so afraid. Like I would go to sleep and my partner came back into town um, and I would be like, if I don't wake up, please tell everyone that I love them. And like, I need you to just promise me that you'll tell people I love them. And I remember just going to sleep so many nights, like not sure of what was going to happen. I tried to get tested about five times by calling doctors. I would get recommendations from all sorts of family members and friends, like, you should really get tested. And I'd be like, I'm really, I'm trying. And I talked to a virtual doctor, and she was so nice to me. And uh, but this was the first time that I, I talked to somebody who could then recommend a test. And the first available appointment was not for... Six days. That's how backed up New York City was at the time. And the day that I went to, that actually I had my appointment to go get tested, it was the first time I was outside um, in the world in like 16 days. I got to the testing site. I walked in and everybody was in all their protective gear. The security guard handed me a paper of what would happen, and someone escorted me to a waiting area, and I felt like I was, like, on the set of a movie about a pandemic. I then went in to the room where they test you, and it was just um, one doctor in full gear, a mask, a clear helmet in front. He told me to sit down, um, to take off my mask, to blow my nose, hand sanitize, and then he explained he was going to um, put a... It was basically like a large Q-tip up my nose, um, very high up, and that it would be uncomfortable, but it would be just five to ten seconds long, and... uh, It did feel a little uncomfortable, but nothing like it had been to feel sick for all these weeks. As soon as he took it out, I just started bawling. (laughs) It's like (laughs) all of it kind of hit me and how just calm and kind he could be to me who's like so scared, but like, isn't he so scared? And aren't all these workers so scared? I... I just spent the rest of the day just crying for our world and um, and also, like, how privileged I could be just to even get a test. So I found out my results just nine hours later. The results that say detected and are bold, that means you have COVID-19. And I was like, 
Oh, okay. Um, all right. Well, this is what I've, I've thought I had, and now I have information and I can move forward. I know that I am slowly getting better. And so I'm really trying to take the, the few hours that I am awake each day <laughs> to do things that are nourishing for my body. There's so much fear in the, the unknown that to take away some of these unknowns, like just getting tested, having tests for everyone, would would take away so much of that. And um, in a time that is so, so truly scary, we'd hope that there could be more ways that that could happen. Like Una, tons of people in the U.S. have tried to get tested and have either had to wait long periods to do so, or have given up altogether. And in many parts of the country, people are being refused testing unless they're hospitalized, because tests are in low supply. Which is a problem, because from the start, testing has been a cornerstone of what most experts consider an effective approach to stopping the spread of this virus. Testing is how we see the pandemic. The way we use a microscope as a tool to see the virus itself, testing is what reveals the extent, the scope, and who's infected with this virus. And without it, we're in the dark as to where this virus is, where it's going, and how quickly it's running out of control. Umer Irfan is a staff writer for Vox.com and a fellow science writer. Today on the show, he's going to break down exactly how testing works and how a new kind of test could help us all finally get back to our regular lives. I'm Ariel Dimros. This is Reset. When I look at coronavirus testing in the U.S. right now, I see a bunch of issues. First, we were late to the testing game. And there's not just one reason why the U.S. has been so slow to test. Uh, there's been a multitude of factors. The U.S. didn't use the World Health Organization's test manufacturing instructions, deciding instead to design its own. And then, when the CDC started making its own tests, it screwed up. There were manufacturing defects that made the tests unreliable. Second, we still don't have enough tests to go around. We need to have someone in charge of making sure that as many people as possible across this country have access to getting tested as soon as possible. And third, we're now hearing reports about false negatives, meaning that people who have tested negative for the virus in the U.S., might actually be infected. You know, the Wall Street Journal a few moments ago crossed a story saying they've looked at data suggesting nearly one in three patients infected with coronavirus are getting negative test results, some false negatives. Umer Irfan, why is the U.S. struggling so badly with testing? With a new virus like this, it's challenging. The fact that it's brand new means that we have to kind of optimize and start a test from scratch. And there is a bit of a learning curve. There's sort of a trial run you have to do in order to figure out how sensitive you want to make your test. You want to have something that can detect this specific virus, but not so specific that it becomes out of date when the virus mutates. Mm. And, you know, this virus that causes COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, it's a coronavirus. It comes from a broader family. So if you have too broad of a test, it'll test positive for all these other coronaviruses. Which means it would also test positive for just something that might just end up actually being a common cold. Exactly. And so you want to make sure that the test you're running is very specific to this virus. And when you're doing this from scratch with a brand new virus, you don't quite know what is the optimal test or how specific you want to make the test or what part of the virus you want to look for. And that takes a little bit of time to figure out. And that's part of the reason why 
the whole world really was kind of struggling to get some good tests up and running. Is there anything else that we need to think about when it comes to the United States testing issues? It's not just the tests themselves, but our capacity to do these tests. Now we need thousands of these tests run, but we don't necessarily have all the people that are trained to administer these tests. And the people that are doing these tests, they don't necessarily have all the equipment to do them, particularly things like personal protective equipment, face shields, masks, and gowns. And so those shortages are also impacting our capacity to test for the virus. So from what I understand, in an ideal world, not only would every person in the U.S. be able to take a test, but ideally they'd be able to take them multiple times because just because you test negative for the virus one day doesn't mean that you're not going to get infected the next day, right? Exactly. We want to be able to track this virus over time to see how fast it replicates, how it moves between different clusters. And now because we're so constrained with the tests we have, doctors are being very careful about who they ration them out to. And this is mainly patients who are going into intensive care or patients in hospitals and not necessarily the wider public where the virus may still be spreading. On top of all that, the main test that we use for detecting the virus, RT-PCR, it takes a long time to run. But a lot of hospitals don't have this testing equipment on site, which means they have to mail these tests out to labs. And that turnaround can be several days before they even get results. Okay, so let's take a look at this time issue, the fact that it takes several days right now to get results. From what I understand, just over a week ago, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, approved a new test for COVID-19 that's supposed to deliver results really fast, like a lot faster than previous tests. What can you tell us about this new test? This test was developed by a company called Abbott Labs in Illinois, and President Trump at the White House was presenting this uh, test as a game changer. Now, it does make a huge advance. It reduces the test time from hours to minutes. How many minutes? Well, they say they can get to a positive result in as little as five minutes, and they can rule out the virus in as little as 13 minutes. Wow. Okay. so basically, overall, like you have a a test that takes less than 15 minutes to complete. That's right. And this is from a machine that's about the size of a toaster. And this is a machine that's already commercially available. This is a machine that Abbott Labs has already validated for use for testing viruses that cause influenza and illnesses like strep throat. Okay, so how does this new test work? In terms of the setup, it's pretty similar to the RT-PCR test. It requires, you know, a throat swab or a nasal swab to collect a sample from a patient, and then you treat it with chemicals that can extract the genetic material from the virus without damaging it. But in a test like this, you don't really need to quantify or calculate how much of the virus is there. You just need to know if whether the virus is there or not. So this is the difference between a a pass-fail grade and, you know, regular grading where you might have like 85% on a test or 90% on a test. Like, that's the difference. It's just not very specific, but it tells you if you passed or failed. Exactly. And right now, that information is better than nothing. When is this test going to be available? The company says it's planning to start 50,000 tests a day at the beginning of April, and it aims to just ramp up capacity from there. The company also says that it already has 18,000 of these machines deployed across the country. Okay, so that sounds promising. Are are there any potential issues with this new test? You run into a lot of the same issues you do with the RT-PCR test. Namely, you need to train workers to run these tests. You need to have the materials to do the test. And this is also being run on a proprietary machine by this one company. So there could be a potential bottleneck in terms of just getting the hardware out there to all the places that want it. Okay, so if you can ramp up production, if you can deal with many of these issues, 
and and sort of fix this and and bring tests to to a lot of people. Does this finally solve our problems? Unfortunately, it does not solve all of our problems. The uh, main thing is that these kinds of tests, these genetic tests for the viruses, they reveal who is currently infected. And that only gives you a partial picture of the pandemic. In order to get the more complete picture, you need another kind of test, one that can figure out who has had the infection but has survived it. Does that actually exist? There are tests like that. They're called serology tests, and they look for antibodies, and they've already been deployed in a number of countries. Uh, I definitely want to know more about this, Umer. Let's uh, talk about this after the break. Sounds good. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Eurovision is here. This year's contest gets underway this week in Malmö, Sweden. But this year's contest comes with a dose of controversy. I'll give you one guess as to what people are mad about. Yes, correct. It's that. Organizers of the Eurovision Song Contest say they are assessing whether Israel's entry breaks the rules on political neutrality. I think it's a shame. I think there is no way that that Israel should be able to participate. Pro-Palestinian protesters are taking to the Swedish streets. More than a thousand Swedish artists, including Robin, have called for an Israel ban. Some European politicians are joining them. Charlie Harding from Switched On Pop joins us this week on Today Explained to help us figure out if Europe can sing its way out of this situation. Irfan, staff writer for Vox, you mentioned before the break that antibody testing could potentially be a real game changer. What do you mean by that? Well, it completes the picture as far as what we understand about the virus. It shows us where the disease has spread, and it can potentially show us who is immune to the infection and could potentially get back out there and return to work. I want to get into the nitty gritty of this a little bit. What does this test actually do? What it's looking for are antibodies. These are proteins that are produced by our immune system. In our bodies, in an ordinary response to an infection, once a virus or other pathogen settles in, white blood cells, they make these antibodies that either attach to the virus itself and mark it for destruction, they can interfere with how the virus reproduces, or they can target infected cells and mark those cells for destruction. And essentially, they help the body counteract the virus. And when they linger around after an infection, they provide immunity to future infections from the same pathogen. Which kind of brings me to one of the big questions about COVID-19, which is the the issue of reinfection, right? Is this test going to be able to help us figure out if people can get reinfected? That's kind of an open question. 
Researchers right now are still trying to figure out the extent of immunity, how long it lasts, how robust it is, and how quickly the virus is changing in a way that could potentially undermine immunity. Now, there have been some reports uh, of patients that have been reinfected, but the doctors I've spoken to have been a little bit skeptical. They think that that was likely a false negative between two false positive tests, but that could still be a possibility. That said, a lot of uh, folks that I've talked to, a lot of researchers say that these antibodies would likely confer immunity for some time, likely a few years, based on what they've seen with immunity to other similar coronaviruses. Besides that, why do you think this antibody test is going to be so important for us to have? Well, despite all the uncertainties, it's probably one of our most valuable tools at getting people back to work. We're talking specifically about health workers. They're on the front lines of this pandemic, and they're the ones getting exposed sometimes the most frequently. And right now, one of the big constraints we some hospitals are facing is they just don't have enough workers. And if they do recover from the virus and they are immune, they could be the people that are the most suited to counteracting the virus, to being back on the front lines. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is, of course, for research purposes, we can track how the virus has spread through a population. This has been a key component of control tactics in other countries like South Korea, where they did contact tracing, where they saw who met with whom, how the virus moved through a population, where the main clusters are, and it allowed them to sort of target their control measures a little bit more precisely rather than using blanket control measures. Another interesting aspect about this is that this points us toward a potential treatment. One thing researchers are looking into is using plasma, basically the uh, liquid part of blood from patients that have recovered from this virus, and using it to treat patients that are already infected. Uh, In some parts of the country right now, it's actually been approved as an emergency therapy for patients that are pretty much out of all other options. But eventually this could help, you know, cure the disease ultimately, to find a way to cultivate the antibodies from people that have recovered and give them to people that are sick or potentially even prophylactically, give them to people who might be exposed to the virus like health workers and prevent them from getting sick in the first place. Okay, and the FDA actually just approved one of these coronavirus antibody tests, right? It's a finger prick blood test? Actually, this test needs blood from a vein. It hasn't been approved for use with a finger stick but it only needs a few drops of blood. For the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, this is the first antibody test cleared to diagnose COVID-19. It's from a company called Celex. It screens for two different types of antibodies in a cartridge. The test then delivers the results in about 15 to 20 minutes. However, the FDA cautioned that an antibody test like this shouldn't be used as the sole way to determine whether somebody has COVID-19. And that's because it can take several days for an infected person to generate enough antibodies to be detected in a test like this. Early in an infection, a serology test or an antibody test can yield a false negative. It can show that somebody doesn't have the virus when they actually are infected. But even with these trade-offs, the FDA said that a test like this can be useful given the urgent need for more tests. On the other end of the equation, testing positive for antibodies doesn't mean that the infection is over. You can have antibodies and still be infected with the virus. So in order to confirm that someone has antibodies that can grant immunity but is not spreading the virus, you would also have to do a genetic test to confirm that there is no active infection. One thing I want to add is that the prospect of gaining immunity to COVID-19 should not be an incentive to go out and get infected. COVID-19 is still a dangerous disease. People of all ages can get sick and die from it. Even if you have mild or no symptoms, you can still spread it to other people who can get severely ill. So the best strategy remains not getting infected in the first place. 
Okay, so it really sounds like we actually need both. We need the swabs and we need the blood tests. That's right. The two of them together help paint a complete picture of what's actually going on. Hypothetically, let's just imagine a future in the U.S. where we finally have a ton of testing kits available, those swab tests, the ones that tell you whether you are infected. And then we also have those serology tests, the blood tests that tell you whether you've built up immunity. Let's just say that we live in that future. What would that mean for the average American in terms of how they live their life? Would anything change? Well, we can look at what other countries have done. Countries like Germany, they're looking to at actually giving people immunity certificates for people who have survived the virus and have the antibodies. This is similar to like, you know, a vaccination card you may have received from your doctor. This is ultimately going to be the key to getting out of this pandemic is essentially figuring out where the virus is, isolating the clusters, but also being able to figure out who can safely get back out into the world. Umair, I can't help but notice that whenever you've answered my questions, you've often said, you know what, Germany is doing this thing already or, or South Korea has already done this thing. Why is the U.S. so behind? There are a number of reasons. I mean, one is just sort of a lack of imagination. The idea of a pandemic has been taken seriously at times and at other times dismissed. Famously, you may know that President Trump dismissed the White House pandemic response team shortly after taking office. But then also there is a failure to respond to an incoming threat. And the other fact is just like, I mean, there are there is merit to the idea that some regulations have been holding the U.S. back, particularly in an emergency situation. The Food and Drug Administration has been relaxing a lot of its rules as of late to allow these tests to be given to more people more often and more quickly. But also, it's just that, you know, we're in a resource-constrained environment now, and that's not something the U.S. has ever really dealt with well before. The main resource constraint in our healthcare system is money. If you have money, you get healthcare, and if you don't, you don't. And now we're at a circumstance where even people with money are having a hard time getting all the tests and all the resources they need. And that requires a different mode of thinking about how to ration care, how to prioritize people. And that's something that other countries have dealt with a little bit more frankly than we have as a society. And that's going to require some thinking going forward if we're going to get ahead of the next pandemic. You've mentioned a few times that the United States has historically preferred using its own tests, developing its own methods. And maybe I shouldn't be asking this because I'm Canadian, but is that arrogance? A little bit. I mean, it is kind of a flex to tell the world that, oh, you're going to develop your own tests and your own techniques. But generally, it's also the fact that when viruses or diseases move across borders, they sort of change or they respond differently in different circumstances. So it does make a little bit of sense to have a unique test for a given circumstance. Mm -hmm. But with hindsight, we kind of see that time matters so much here. When you have like a really rapidly spreading disease, the initial conditions matter. And the countries that manage to implement things like quarantines or shelter-in-place orders or, or lockdowns or what have you early on did a better job of controlling the pandemic versus the ones that sort of dragged their feet. And that's kind of really the big issue here is just that we lost time and we can't get that time back. But Going forward, we can get a better grasp on where the virus is and do a better job of controlling it from here on out. Umair Irfan is a staff writer for Vox.com. Umair, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. My pleasure. A while back, I asked you all, the Reset listeners, to send us stories about your life during this pandemic your challenges, and your successes. 
and we've been hearing from listeners all week. Here's some of your responses. Hi, Reset team. My name is Savannah, and I use they-them pronouns. Hi, my name is Lisa Getty, and I'm a senior at the University of Oklahoma. Hey, Reset. So I moved across the country for a new job, basically right before all of the COVID-19 stuff really picked up in the United States. And it's been really strange getting to know my coworkers remotely and working out of an empty apartment because I was going to thrift my furniture and I can't justify going to a thrift store because of social distancing. (laughs) So I was already in a weird transition in my life and now it's been made even weirder by a global pandemic. I think a huge um, struggle with the coronavirus has been the cancellation of graduation ceremonies. I know for me personally, as a first-generation student, I was kind of viewing graduation as the light at the end of the tunnel. And to not get to have that ceremony and to not have my parents see me graduate has been pretty um, hard to handle. But I think that um, it's important to, of course, keep social distancing. And I'm hoping that my efforts to avoid going out um, and to social distance will help flatten the curve and ultimately help save lives. During the virus, um, I'm pretty much okay, I guess. I still have to work, which isn't really reassuring, but um, there's so few people at work. We do take all the precautions that we need, so that's cool. Um, That does get me out of the house. Uh, I run every day, but um, the virus has really, like, made dating hard so uh with that you know thank god for our phones and video discord whatsapp and yo shout out shout out to the animal crossing and like you can go on legit dates so um that's help yeah so um, i'm doing okay that last voice was listener jeffrey russo or russo i honestly don't know how jeffrey will feel about a french pronunciation Anyway, he seems to be going on dates in the video game Animal Crossing, which sounds rad. We just did an episode about that game this week, and I spoke with a couple who got married in the game. So if you haven't heard that yet, go back in the feed and check it out. To everyone who sent us recordings, thank you. I've been really touched by these messages, and frankly, it's helping me feel more connected to you all during this very weird time. Keep sending us your stories by emailing them to reset at vox.com. That's it for today's show. This is Reset, and I'm Ariel Dumras. But you don't have to say it that way. We publish episodes three times a week, on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at ADRS. Skylar Swenson and Will Reed produced the show. Our engineer is Eric Gomez. Our intern is Daniel Marcus. And thanks this week to Amy Drovdoska, who helped edit this episode. Golda Arthur is our executive producer. Liz Kelly Nelson is the editorial director of Vox Podcasts. The mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder composed our theme music... And Reset is produced in association with Stitcher, and we're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back on Tuesday. Later, nerds.